Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Bonzo Stuff Podcast. It's me, Scott Martin, Bonzo Matsu, and thank you for your company wherever you are around this beautiful planet of ours. This episode of the Bonsai Stuff Podcast, I want to talk about a few um, a few reasons why everybody should have an Australian native in their bonsai collection. I've been doing lots of presentations and talks, and one of the things that I, I like to ask when I'm uh, presenting on Australian natives is to ask a question of the audience. And that simple question is, you know, can you put your hands up just to show off, show off numbers of who's got Australian natives in their bonsai collection? And when I started doing this a long time ago, I would ask the same question. There'd be a few people around the room that would do it, but now more more so than not, it's um, it's a vast majority have got Australian natives in their um, in their collection, which is fantastic. So I want to go through anyone that's sort of teetering on the fence or maybe you know doesn't want to dip their toe in the water. A couple of good reasons why we um, why we should. Also, I want to talk about um, what we're doing now, especially in Australia, but also other parts of the world. But what we're doing here in Australia with our bonsai is we're creating history. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into that as well. And I want to talk about a, a term that um, got raised recently on a uh, on a on a Zoom catch up with uh, with a mate um, called bonsai maturity. So I want to uh, I want to dig into that a little bit deeper as well. So it uh, it should be definitely be an interesting podcast for you. And again, as always, thank you for thank you for tuning in. Thank you for for listening. A few people have been sending me the. Um, their stats that have been coming out at this time of year for um, you know Spotify or your, your playlists or whatever it is, and um, you know you know top two percent fan you know Luke thanks mate <laughs> um, top one percent Lewis you know it's awesome it's it's great it's hearing hearing those stats and and hearing um, and actually for me to see um, from from your perspective how much time you've actually spent listening to me drone on about bonsai and it got me thinking that. Um, you know, I, I, I when I record this podcast, I very much have to stop myself from rambling on because I find that um, I'm so I'm so passionate about bonsai. And hopefully, it comes across in the podcast. And I've got such a love for for everything bonsai, and that's the that's the people, that's the trees, it's it's everything from from start to finish with with bonsai. And this podcast, you know, obviously, you know, it's it's you know, it means something to, to people, which is which is lovely, which is really really great. So I do appreciate it. Thanks very much, and let's get into it. So Australian natives as bonsai, this uh, is not a new concept by any stretch of the imagination. It's been happening for a very, very long period of time. It just seems to be that now with the access to information and sharing of information via, you know, a couple of really good bonsai clubs and, and good people online and, 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 and experience with, uh, with different, um, different species, different varieties of um, of Australian natives, it's uh, it's making their popularity increase, which is fantastic. And I just wanted to run through, I suppose, because lately I've been doing a, a bucket load of pruning of my natives. It's a really good time for us as we come into the early part of uh, of summer. We've had lots of growth, lots of pushing, lots of lots of vigorous vigorous growth. There's flowers on trees. It's it's just beautiful. So as I was working through them, I thought this is something that should be. That should be discussed and talked about and 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 promoted because they are very rewarding and there's some some really good reasons why um and 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 I want to start with the the diversity of species I suppose because they're you know a, a while ago a long time ago I suppose I, there was only you know in my eyes anyway 
it was it was more about only having a few varieties of Australian natives. And it was more the hardier ones, the ones that would survive because I used to hear lots of stories about, oh, you can't keep them, they, they, they die, you know, they can't be repotted or, you know, they just, just love water too much. I can't get I can't get enough water into these trees. And and luckily now that's all starting to dissipate a little bit and we're becoming smarter on how we how we manage them and how we look after them. But the variety of species that you can get that are suitable for, for pot culture, for bonsai in Australia and, and possibly around the world. But I know for me locally there's there's lots of native-specific nurseries when you travel around the place. And I just strongly encourage you just to have a crack. And where, where my, my, my strongest advice would come would be try and start with with something that's quite young. Um, there's there's certain species I know that, you know, we shouldn't be collecting Australian natives in my eyes anyway because protected, um, you know, there's there's lots of lots of rules and regulations that we live with here in Australia on collecting trees and and um, I'm sure there are there are there are ways around it and, and that's cool. And and you know, I've got I've got um, some collected trees uh, in my collection as well. So it's not that I'm saying you shouldn't and it's not a viable option. Definitely a viable option, but hear me out. If you if you start with a young a little little whip, a little seedling from uh, from a nursery, it costs a couple of bucks. So the investment's very, very low. And you know, if if it if things go pear shaped, well then, you know, you're not out of pocket hundred thousands, whatever it's gonna be for something that's more mature. So if you start with something young, you can actually get them and put some really nice movement and shape into them. It's like any any tree, any bonsai that you start with. You can you can manipulate and work with a a young tree a lot easier than you can once that wood has hardened off. So I find with Australian natives that a lot of work gets done with them when they're really young and, and they look great. They look really, really good and it it keeps your options open then if you'd like to keep it as a small tree as opposed to, you know, a really large, large bonsai as well. But but working on them when they're really young and getting those uh, those seedlings into bonsai culture, uh, how we look after them and how we maintain them and how we how we make them flourish, you know, and, and containing those roots in, a, in a, into a container of some kind, a vessel of some kind, then they seem to, they seem to react really well to that. Whereas that stepping down from large pots to smaller pots might be something you've got to be a little bit more delicate with, as with as with any tree. You know, you can't go chopping off all its roots all the time and and expect it to to kick on and do do miraculous things. So, I find that if you can start with them really really young, then you'll have, you know, a you'll get some really really good interesting movement and you can you can put your your thumbprint on them from a very young age, but. You know, secondly, you know the the outlay is not you know, squillion bucks, so you can maybe get a range of different species at the same time and start them and go, hey, look, I've got you know all these different ones, and some may not turn into be the greatest bonsai. Their their growth habits might not be particularly suited to being you know a magnificent masterpiece in some people's eyes, but they have got their benefits. You know, another another thing that I love about them, which I talked about before, was the flowers. Flowers on Australian natives. Oh my god. There's just such diversity in, in what you can get and and sometimes they're subtle and elegant little flowers that might appear on a um you know, on a Melaleuca or something like that, you know, one of the paperbark varieties that we can get that just sort of, you know, you, you have to search for it and it's, it might not be something which is, you know, dangling in your face like uh, like one of the bottle brush, a clistamine with, you know, bright red or, you know, bright, bright purple or pink coloured flowers on there which sort of, you know, really 
pop and 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 really accentuate the the design of the tree. But there's there's so many different ones that for me I find that having a range of different natives in my in my collection when they do flower, you know, whether it's a little coastal tea tree with a beautiful little white flower that opens up with its delicate petals and then, you know, as I, I talked about before, the, the <laughs> when those petals start falling off, it's like the cherry blossom festival in in Japan because they sort of rain down as you as you walk through them. But there's there's so much to admire when it comes to the flowers in our Australian native species that you'll never be bored. You know, the new growth is vigorous; it's beautiful in colour as well. And 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 talking about that too is the the growth rate that I've found with regard to the Australian natives is. You're second to none for us in you know if you think about Australian natives, there's so many different varieties, so many different species, so many choices that you've got, and it might not be the ideal scenario for you to grow something which you see every day. But if you can get an Australian native that's local to your area, it's local to your area for a reason, and it obviously loves the climate and it loves the conditions in which it's going to grow around your area. So therefore, it makes natural sense that. As a bonsai, it'll do better there than if it was taken to a foreign environment. You know, let's say your 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 area is, you know, it gets more rain, it's a slightly cooler area, it's, you know, maybe more seaside, whatever. Then if that, that species is taken from there and put into a, you know, a dry, arid condition where there's very little rain and there's strong dry winds and it's nowhere near the sea whatsoever, then you just naturally assume you either, you have to, a, you know, create a, an environment which that tree is going to survive and thrive or the, the tree is not going to make it. <clears throat> so I'd think that if you can if you can have it where you're working with local species and, again, like I said, it might not be uh, terribly exciting for you because it's like oh, I see this tree every single day but, you know, I, I, I work with um, the, the prickly paperbark, which I love because I've talked about it before it evokes um, feelings from me being a little kid because they were used a lot where I grew up as the nature strip trees. And and I, I saw these things. I used to lie underneath them and look up at the foliage and whatever and you know, get prickled by the little dried up leaves on the ground all the time. And 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 that's that sort of, for me, I know that they grow really well where I live and that they're going to thrive and do really well. Plus it evokes that, that feeling for me, that memory in my head that it makes me makes me smile. So local local native species will do exceptionally well and I'd just be um, mindful that if you're going to bring something from another area into your your collection that you're going to need to um, have an environment in which it can can thrive which is very similar going to be or have to be close to I suppose where it's um, where it's found naturally another thing that I love is the um, the appearance of the trunks now natives have such diversity in their in their trunks you know look at you know, think about think about the gums, the eucalypts. You know what they've got, and think about the like I said before, the paper barks. It, there's just such diversity and and interest. You know we're in a we're on a on a on a land that's that's ravaged by fires at times, and and the trees have to have to build up defences to survive that kind of an environment, whether it's it's used or not. It's it's part of the part of the makeup of the of the tree of the species. And wrapping the wrapping the core of the tree in you know lots and lots of layers of whatever it is you know the bark of, of whatever kind of paper bark or, or rough textured bark makes them ideal candidates to to get through those those bushfires that we we incur or we, you know, over over time. So 
those um, those characteristics of the trees, as they develop, they sort of start to come to the fore as well, and and they're just they're just magnificent. Like you know, a lot of stuff we've got here, it's you know, it's so so different to the to the exotic species that it's it should be it, it should be on the same level in your mind that when you look at um you know a, a, another tree like a a, a maple or, or or a pine or a juniper or something like that. They've got a lot of characteristics that we look towards and go, hey, you know, that's that's the vision I have in my head of bonsai. It's a it's a perfect black pine. It's the the king of bonsai. It's the way to go. Well, I think the Australian natives should be in your mind to the same level, saying these things have got qualities as good, if not better. And I don't mean that to be an insult to anybody, but but Australian natives have got certain characteristics which make them, in my mind, at times a step ahead of all those exotic species. Does it mean you should go one way or the other, like go all Australian natives or all exotics? No, no, not at all, not at all. I'm, I'm saying the two, the two varieties can complement each other and that in your collection, 100% hand on heart believe that you should have a range of trees, a range of varieties and throw Australian natives into that mix because, my God, they are, they are so worth it. And and then keep then keep the exotics as well. You know, I love I love my trees, my, my my pines. I love them. You know, if you look at anything that I've I've got on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you'll see that I absolutely love the pines. I love junipers. I love working with cedars. I love working with all the varieties. But the intention for this little bit of a chat is to maybe broaden a little bit to say we can you can do both. You know, like I've got in my collection, you know, a bucket load of natives and a bucket load of exotics and. You know the the watering requirements for them, and this might be controversial to some. And Australian natives do love water; they they definitely do. But my natives live side by side with my exotics, so they're in the same mix for me. I don't I don't change my my soil mix. I'm very clear on that. My fertilising regime for them might be a little bit different because of a few issues that the Australian natives can have, but vast majority get exactly the same fertiliser as what my exotics do. Timing for things is very different because, you know, like repotting, for instance, the, the natives wake up and, and really have their growth push a little bit later than, than I find the exotics do, but doesn't mean that I can't, I can't work with that. doesn't mean I have to, you know, say, well, that's it, they don't do I can't be repotted at the same time as everything else, so I'm going to get rid of them. No, it's just they just get done at different times. But the watering, they get watered with the same hose, with the same water at the same time as the rest of them. So you can you can live with bonsai of all varieties in your yard and not have to make massive changes regardless of, of, of what you heard. And their development rate is so fast, their growth rate. You know, if you want... If you've got itchy scissors, all right, if you want to get out there and you want to be working continually on your bonsai and you don't have hundreds of bonsai in your collection, then throw a couple of natives in the mix because I guarantee you they will grow almost 24-7, 365 days a year. They are they are fantastic. They they might slow down a little bit, but they're more like a more like a juniper than they are a deciduous. They just keep pushing and pushing and pushing the growth, and and with that growth, if you can, if you can manage it rather than just you know pruning it off, if you select things, you know this is the leader, this is the branch. You know, I come back to it again. The first thing I talked about this year, the the bonsai plan. If you can put a plan in place for your natives, based on their their growth acceleration that they can have, especially when they're young, oh God, you can achieve a lot of stuff. You really can. You know, there are varieties, obviously. You know, this is a very 
generalised talk. So I'm not putting all natives into the one basket saying they all grow at a million miles an hour. There are there are exceptions, okay? I, I admit that. But there's a lot that grow so fast that you can really – Get your teeth into them and 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 get some get some real progress at a at a rapid rate and and develop ramification. You know when you do get to that point where you're happy with your your trunk, your primaries, your secondaries, and you want to get into that ramification stage, yeah, the natives will do it for you. You know, like they will they will develop so fast that you'll be so pleased with them. Um, another thing, you know, they're 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 plentiful. There's so many native nurseries around. The popularity in gardens now it's it's grown. Um, because you know there are there is a big a big push to go native with them for the native uh, animals that we have, and you know helpful with bringing birds to your yard, which is which is great. You know I've got I've got great mates that are not bonsai related at all, and I walk around their backyards now, and I'd, I'd say ninety plus percent of the trees in the backyards are all natives because when I talk to them, it's like why did you why did you pick that tree? Oh, the flowers on it are magnificent, and you should see the trees. You know, the 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 eat the wattle birds come in and they do this, they do that, and it's like, oh my god, you know, this is this is so cool because I love I love the fact that we're we're embracing the native species that we've got. They're readily available through nurseries, so you're not um not having to dig around and hide, you know, find them hidden in dark little corners in bargain bins and stuff like that because they can't be grown, you know, or looked after or whatever, and they're becoming mainstream. In, in so many ways that that it, it makes natural sense to to bring them into the the bonsai world for us as well, and you know um, styling wise, I've, I've talked about styling natives and, and whatever before, but that's that's not what this is about. What this is about is that you should explore the the gift of Australian natives as bonsai to you as a as a custodian of those trees, as a bonsai practitioner, because there's so much that you get out of them, and and if they are local to your to your local area then so much better if they're not and you want to acquire them then there can be there definitely can be issues with them acclimatizing long term you know I'm, I'm not talking like within six months it's like two three four years down the track you can find that the things maybe don't work out quite as well as what you'd hope because they don't grow naturally in those environments but that's that's the same for every variety of tree you have as a bonsai. Some do really well in cooler climates. Some do better in in more humid climates. You know, you can't you can't take a fig and put it into the to a snow environment and expect it to be brilliant every year, year on year, without having some kind of repercussion. So, Australian natives, my advice to you is have a crack. Don't don't be frightened. If you haven't got them, get into it. Start start with something that's not going to break the bank. Look at stuff that's local to your area. Get in there and have a play with it. You know, build up the strength and do the research. There's so much information available online these days. You know, in the in the public forum as well as via specialists. You know, native bonsai clubs and stuff like that. Which through their membership, they've got access to some amazing information and amazing people that have got so much so much skill and talent in that area that are happy to pass on that information as well. So, you know, I, I really strongly encourage everyone. You know, our potters our potters in Australia, but not just in Australia, around the world. Are diversifying their range of containers that we can use, and some of those work absolutely magnificently with with the Australian natives. But that doesn't mean you can't go down the traditional road as well. Like I like my Australian natives being in traditional, you know, Japanese type bonsai containers because they complement them as well. But that's you know, that's that's up to us. That's our individualism 
when it comes to being a bonsai artist, which is part of what we do. But, you know, horticulturally they, they are really suited to, to, to us in Australia as well as around the world. There are people I've heard, you know, listening in, in Germany that have got um, Australian natives as well, you know, expats that have moved overseas that have, have found them in local gardens. And, you know, I was uh, looking at, at photos on the weekend there, uh, which I'll talk about a little bit later on too about um, – about another another section of the podcast, but you know, seeing Australian natives in in uh, Japanese bonsai nurseries, not not great, but still developing and and starting from scratch somewhere along the way. But nevertheless, you know, Australian natives they're they're taking hold of the world, and I, I strongly recommend that you get into them. Don't be intimidated, don't be frightened. Look for look for people that can help you and 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 have a crack. Okay, so we are now early December and, yep, you guessed it, decandling season for me is started. We're off and racing. Uh, in fact, as soon as I finish recording this podcast, for you lovely ladies and gentlemen, you bonsai fanatics, um, I will be getting into decandling some of my larger black pines. For me, it's perfect timing. You know, it's up to you based on your um, your local area, where you are, what you do, how you do it, timing, all the rest of it. So, disclaimer for me, it's uh, it started for uh, for where I'm where I'm based. So, it's um it's going to be a, a busy time, an interesting time, and one of my one of my favourite. You know, I talked about decanning last last podcast. I'm not going to get into it again this time, but I just um I just walked past uh, my workshop to uh, after getting a nice hot coffee to record this next section of the podcast and walk past the big black pine that I put in the workshop yesterday because. Where I'm based in Melbourne, we uh, we've had a pretty wet start to summer, and uh, it's been cool as well. So um, I grabbed the tree yesterday as it was bucketing down at about 16 degrees and freezing down here, and thought I'm going to let you dry out a little bit because I don't um, I don't enjoy decandling when the tree's um, dripping wet. So um, oh, I'm looking forward to getting to that. Anyway, so the next section of the podcast I want to talk about is I uh, I had um, a listener in the workshop over the weekend and uh, and Darren and we were talking about his recent trip to Japan and he was um you know blown away by everything about Japan which we all are I love it you know the 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 place the people the culture the bonsai you know Omiya bonsai village you know we're talking about that up there and the quality of the trees he went to a couple of shows while he was there he's just you know ticked a, ticked a hell of a lot of bucket list items but one of the things we we got into which is what I want to talk about in the podcast is um, he was talking about the uh, the cost of trees over there in particular there was one Friday that got raised um, just a, a, a black pine Japanese black pine and he's you know couldn't believe that it was only like I think it was 150, 180 bucks or something like that for this this nice sort of starter stock tree, and um, you know we where where I'm based, the price of of trees, raw material seems to be going up higher and higher. The demand's in, definitely increasing, so therefore you know the old economics of supply demand it's um, it's driving prices up, and that's um, that's okay, which I don't mind. But it what um what the the purpose of the podcast was. You know, looking back at that photo, I said, you know, we've got plenty of we got bucket loads of that stock available in Australia. You know, like it's it's a, a 10, 15 year old Japanese black pine, so nothing, nothing fantastic, nothing spectacular, but we got bucket loads of it. And it got me to thinking and talking about was where we are 
right now in Australia, like in our in our bonsai life, bonsai journey, bonsai whatever you want to call it, right? We're we're young, you know. We're 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 only we're only fresh, you know. As far as the world opening up through the means of information availability and and education and whatever else, you know, that that a lot of people have been doing bonsai in Australia for a long time, you know. But it's not it's 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 not at the point where it's you know we're a thousand years into to growing trees in pots and that's that's my point so we there there are people that have been doing it you know 50 60 years there's some some great trees and I'm not meaning any disrespect at all by saying any of this but but in the scheme of of you know the world turning our bonsai journey is relatively fresh you know we're we're relatively new and we have strict quarantine laws uh, you know, we have strict collecting laws, which is great. Um, I'm, I'm up for both of those. I'm not not trying to change any of that. So we can't we can't go out there and dig up a 500 a year old tree and turn it into a bonsai. Be, you know, the, I don't want to get into collecting ethics and all that sort of stuff, but we can't do it because a lot of everything's protected. In my eyes, correctly. Um, we can't import trees from overseas, so we can't have someone else's, you know, 500-year-old tree and then bring that into Australia and say, hey, look at us, you know, and we take that quantum leap forward with what we do, which which can happen now. You know, Japan can export its trees to, you know, Europe, wherever, right? And again, that's not the purpose of, of this section of the podcast. What I want to talk about, though, is where we are at in Australian bonsai now overall is we're creating history. Right, so what we're doing, what you are, what you listening to this podcast, what you are doing now, in some shape or another, is creating something which will then go on in future years to someone else, and to someone else, and to someone else. Which is where that's the sense of awe that I get when I go to Japan. I look in a nursery and you look at the trees, and you know, even even now, like you know, I look at photos of of um, the nursery where I where I did some training at Achien and. And you know, someone will put a photo up every now and then, and I'll, I'll scour through the trees and try and look for trees that I worked on when I was there. And you know, that's relatively short, but they're still there. Some of the trees are still there, and, and it's amazing that that what we're doing here in Australia is we're making we're making bonsai not necessarily for us, but you know, not necessarily our kids because it's not you know it's not the way it works. It's not going to be hey, I grew this, you have to grow this. You know, it's it's. Someone else is going to take over that. So your bonsai family may not necessarily be your kids, people you live with, people you know. It can be someone else that walks in, buys that tree off you, acquires it, whatever, gets given to them, gifted, whatever, and then that goes on. That that tree's journey then hopefully continues successfully, where that person then you know cares for it, goes through their lifetime loving it, you know, giving it everything that it needs. And then someone else comes along and, and their bonsai family gets bigger. You know, it might move into state. It might, you know, whatever, be sold online to someone you don't know. But regardless where we are at in Australia, and I, I believe this right to my very core, is that we are building the foundation of, of bonsai for future generations, which, you know, I, I hear, uh, you know, bitching about it. Oh, I can't get trees from overseas. I wish we could get this. Oh, why can't I bring this in? Why can't I do that? It's like... You know, I talked talked earlier about um, Australian native whips and taking them from very young, you know, very low cost items and putting your your wire on them and shaping them and starting to develop them. That's the part for me that I think that's our job. That's 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 our purpose in in bonsai in Australia right now. We're, we're, we've got magnificent bonsai. 
we second to none. You know, we've got some of the, the best trees coming through the system. They just don't have the age on them yet. Now, and I imagine, like, if I look at some of the best bonsai in Australia at the moment, I think, what would that look like in 500 years? And it's like, that's just mind-blowing. <laughs> it, it Seriously, it, it boggles my brain to think, what is this? Like, if this tree looks this good after 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever it is, Imagine in 500 years what this tree is going to look like and we are positioned to be absolute leaders in the world when it comes to bonsai when we get to that maturity stage. You know, we've got the education, we've got the skill, we've got the intent, we've got the techniques, we've got everything that we need here right now. We've got the species, you know, Australian native species. Imagine, honestly, I I have to stop myself at times because I, I do believe that you know, you might not think that you're doing much by, by by that little bit of wire that you put on or how you set that branch or how you pick the trunk line or how you put it into a pot and the angle that you choose and the apex positioning and the flow and intent of the design that you're you're making with that tree. But it does. It's it's gonna make a massive difference because we're on the we're on the precipice of of, of absolute greatness of bonsai in Australia and it's thanks to us. You know, everybody listening to this what we're doing right now is we're the we're the start, we're the foundation, we are the building blocks of 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 this magnificent journey in bonsai, which is going to go on in perpetuity. You know, if if the world keeps spinning, then you know there there may be changes along the way, but you know we're we're building bonsai now that are going to get passed down the line, and you know whether they turn around and say, oh that's a that's a Scott Martin tree, that's a Fred such and such tree, that's a whatever, it makes no difference to me. I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is that we do the best we possibly can right here, right now with our trees to know that when they go to the the next phase, someone else puts a few bricks on that wall, builds it up, makes them a bit stronger. Then it goes to the next person. They do a little bit more to it and then the next person does a little bit more to it. So doing that foundation work, you know, think about taking a – Taking your, your your little native seedling that you've got, you've wired it. Suddenly gets to repotting time. You take it out. You you start working on the nabari, and you set that nabari for life. Like you 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 do work on that thing now, and have the thought in the back of your head that I'm doing this because in a thousand years time, this thing is going to look absolutely incredible. That's and and that's the part that makes the hair stand up on my my arms and and makes me really proud of where our 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 industry is you know our our culture our bonsai culture for everybody is that we you know we get a hell of a lot of satisfaction out of the, along the way the, the journey is what it's all about you know that enjoyment of of every little step along the way is great but we are the foundation we are the we are the base of which australian bonsai is going to grow and and that's that's incredible you know it's <laughs> i love it i love it it's um yeah, future of australian bonsai we are we are rock solid I had to have a little break after that one. I got myself so excited <laughs> talking about, about Australian bonsai. Anyway, so the next concept, yeah, I was doing a doing a Zoom catch up with uh, with another, another fantastic lad, Corey, up um, up northern New South Wales, and we were having a chat about things and you know his particularly his bonsai journey and where his trees are at and what's happened and 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 there was a there was a moment where we were talking about um, you know the the way things used to be. You know, and I think this applies to absolutely everyone. This is this is so 
so normal for all of us. And I, and I think if you're honest with yourself that you'll look back and go, yeah, you know what, I did do that. And it's the fact that you'd walk through a nursery or you'd see a tree and you'd go, yep, that's a bonsai. I'm going to make that thing into a bonsai. And you'd buy this You'd buy this tree in a pot. It might be at a you know a general nursery, not even a bonsai nursery at that stage. And you know you've read a couple of books, you've seen you know designs that you like, and and suddenly you buy this thing, going that that's going to be it. That's going to be exactly it. The foliage might not be right. It might not be suited for bonsai. But you look at it and go, yep, that's what that's going to be. You get home, you grab your wire. You may as well throw the wire the tree rather than wrapping it onto the tree because. There's no real no real skill with it. You chuck it on there and you start tearing off branches. You're making shari lines. You're tearing bark off the trunk. You're, you're doing all sorts of dangerous stuff to it. You're flexing this tree. You're bending branches. You'll sit back and look at it and go, yep, that's perfect. How good's that? Like, seriously, that only took me 20 minutes. What's so hard about bonsai? Like, what's all this fuss about? It's only, you know, it's, it's not that hard to not that hard to make them. But then, you know, time goes by, a week later, branches start turning brown, they start changing colour. Next thing you know, the tree sort of stalls. It might die, it might not, but it's hanging on for <laughs> for life by, uh, by a thread. There's nothing really happening to it and you suddenly go, well, what's gone wrong? Oh, maybe it's my watering, maybe it's the feeding, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Anyway, then you suddenly go out, you'll do it again, you'll do it over and over and over and at that stage – your purpose is or your intent is on self-satisfaction, right? You're doing these things because it makes you feel good because you're an artist, right? Yeah, you can make a bonsai. It's, you know, I've got these visions. I've got these things in my head that I want to do and you jump into it. You start tearing into trees and it's it's really hard to control yourself. I get it. I've been there. It's me. That that was me a long, long time ago and I still have I still have images in my head as I talk about this of, of trees that I worked on thinking I should never have done it. You know, I never should have even bought that tree in the first place. The foliage was nowhere near designed to be, you know, a, a juniper foliage. It's a it's a ground cover of some kind. It's anyway. And it sometimes takes a while to learn that what you're doing is wrong and it's your fault. It's on you, right? And now we've got this availability where you can reach out to people like me and, and other people around the, the globe where you can sort of say, hey, look, this, and someone will give you not necessarily a rap on the knuckles, but it'll just be a you know good, hard, honest chat to say, hey, listen, you know, this is what needs to happen. You know, you need to draw breath and this is this is why and this is the stages we go through. And, and suddenly through the education process, you suddenly become enlightened and go, ah, oh, right, okay. And, you know, and from from talking with my buddy, you know, we were looking at it and and the pennies dropped now because it's been a period of time and and the 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 focus suddenly changes from from you to the tree. Right? Not to the bonsai, but to the tree, to that living being that you've got in your care, custody and control. That the thing that you are responsible for twenty four hours a day. And when that that switch gets flicked, that you start thinking about the care and well being of that of that tree, your mindset changes, right? You still have that desire. You still have that passion. You still have that burning ambition that you want to be a bonsai artist, that you want to make that into an amazing tree. But the timing for things and and the application of those technique changes. The rush, the rush gets taken off, right? And I call it bonsai maturity because that's when it might take – 
it might be a short-term thing. It might take a couple of weeks. might take a couple of years. might never happen. To some people, it, it doesn't. You know, I see I see some stuff, some terrible, horrible stuff where people keep flogging these trees over and over and over. It's like, oh, you don't, just don't learn. But it's it's one of those things that I think to be – to be a good custodian, to to love truly love trees, to truly love bonsai and enjoy and get the most out of what we do, that maturity point has to kick in sooner or later where you suddenly slow things down and go, right, okay, what's the right time to do this, you know, and, and when should I – how long should I wait and what, what trigger points do there need to be on this tree to show me that it's ready to go, that I can take the next step and what's – you know, going back to episode one of, of, of 2023, what's the plan? You know, what's the plan for this tree and sticking to that bloody plan, you know, making sure that you're not jumping ahead too far because you're keen to get to the end result. You know, I just talked about, you know, that we're on the we're, – we're the, we're the base, you know, we're the foundation for thousands of years of bonsai in Australia and they'll always look back to this period of time and go, you know, those the founders, they started with, with nothing and look at what they've built, look at what they've made – so there shouldn't be a rush for us to design or finish our bonsai because we've got forever. Right? These trees are going to outlast us well and truly. And if you just get, you know, let's say it's a 10-part a plan for this tree's development, whatever they are, and you get to 0.6, you know, rather than, you know, rather than getting to the 10th point in the plan, well, that's great. Well done. You've enjoyed it. You've you've really achieved massive things by getting along there, and and that bonsai maturity is something that, in your own mind, you've got to work out has that kicked in, and and the the catalyst for it is when you start looking at that tree, going, you know, what do you need? Not what do I need? What am I going to get out of you? You're you're not a tool for me. You're not a piece of clay where I can make a pot and put in a kiln and say, yep, look what I've done. You're a living being that I've got responsibility for. How do I nurture you? How do I get you to be the best bonsai available in the whole wide world how do i how do i take you to that point all right do i need to improve my wiring skills do i need to improve my repotting skills do i need to all right so you can do all this stuff independently into yourself and that tree then gets on the path on the plan you develop it nicely you do the right thing at the right time that's 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 bonsai maturity and i think that it's if you look at the best bonsai practitioners around the world they've all got that They've all got that patience. You know, I talked about patience in earlier podcasts, but it's it's that maturity level where you can you can flick it off. And maturity doesn't come from age. Like, uh, don't get me wrong, you can be you can be twelve years old starting bonsai and be far more bonsai mature than someone who's in their forties who's who's tearing trees to shreds three days a week you know it's that's not it's not an age thing it's it's purely when your mindset changes to be what do i what do i have to do to this tree to make it magnificent you know and and what do you need you tell me like i'm i'm here to look after you you know i'll do the best i possibly can let's work together on this and let's make you let's make you bloody magnificent and the the best possible you can be and anyway so when you stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about the tree that's uh that's that's bonds on maturity All right, let's wrap this baby up and put a bow on it and put it under the Christmas tree. The, uh, the 2024 Intensive Program has been getting a hell of a lot of work lately. I've been doing a lot of work on it. And, um, and uh, with next year being a particularly busy year for me, darting around the, the country, um, um, 
I'm locking in some dates early. So I'm very hopeful that hopefully by the end of this year, I'll, I'll have availability of dates because I've been getting a few inquiries about future uh, intensives for those that live a bit, a little bit further away from um, from from my base that uh, that are very interested. So, yep, just letting you know in a public forum that um, that they are coming and um, and they're going to roll out relatively relatively soon. So keep an eye out for that on the uh, on uh, on the social. So if you're interested, sign up on the website. Um, it'll be coming out via um, via an email format. Um, anyway, so thank you for sticking around. I do appreciate it. Subscribers, buddy, love you. I, I could, buddy, give you all a big scream and cuddle right now and say thank you because um, you're the lifeblood of this uh, this podcast. So thank you very much for for everything that you're you're doing and you've done for uh, for me and the support that you show me because it means a hell of a lot. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I love it. I'm still um, I'm still fired up and. And you know, I cannot wait to go out and get into my decandling. But um, you know, I think I think understanding that we're on the we're on the starting blocks for something that's magnificent here in Australia with our bonsai, and that you know, throwing into that mix that we've got availability of so many beautiful exotic species that that the rest of the world has, as well as our Australian natives that um, that grow so well in our climate, we're um, we're very lucky, very very lucky, and um, and we should make the most of it. We should be not closing one door to open another. I believe thoroughly that we can have both doors open. We can have natives, we can have exotics, and you know, if you're, you're sort of all down one path and not the other, then you know, maybe just have a think about it because um, there's definitely benefits to both, and and it's you know, it makes us well-rounded, you know, and and it makes our bonsai here a lot stronger than if we just went down one path. So, I think um, bonsai for me in particular is about enjoyment. And uh, oh my goodness, do I get enjoyment out of Australian natives as well as um, as well as those non-native species that um, that I think that I am I am solid enough in what I do with my bonsai that I can have both. So please um, please explore, please enjoy, and 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 make sure that you get um, you get that experience with natives that are local to your area because they will they will do exceptionally well. And if they do exceptionally well, you'll be very very happy. I can uh, I can I can reassure you. So. We're getting closer to Christmas. There's um, there's only a few more episodes left for um, for this year, which um, which are coming thick and fast, which is great. This is this is episode forty three for the year. If you, God, I can't believe it. It's amazing that <laughs> um, that we've done it. I'm loving the format. I'm loving the feedback. So please stay in touch. Scott at bonsaimatsu.com if you need to email me or via the socials as always. Keep uh, keep it coming thick and fast because I'm more than happy to help, and I mean that honestly. That's not something that I say with uh, hollow content. I do mean it with uh, with hand on heart. That um, one of the uh, one of the great joys that I get is knowing that, in some shape or another, I've I've helped you or someone become the best they can at bonsai, and that you can enjoy it as much as I do. I, I doubt you'll enjoy it as much as I do because I freaking love it. But if you can enjoy it half as much as what I do, then yeah, the world's a, the world's a very happy place. So. Enjoy the time with your trees. Keep an eye out for pests and stuff like that too. Fungal issues at the moment, especially down south in Australia with the wet that we've had. I've noticed a few uh, few uh, powdery mildew issues cropping up. Keep on top of it and make sure that you, um, you are spending daily content with your trees because they love you for it and you love them. So until next time, happy bonsai.